There's a uh, book out that I've made mention of before by George Barna called Revolution. Here it is up on the screen. Those of you all not familiar with Barna, he is a Christian stats guy. And uh, he and his group, the Barna Group, have reported a lot of helpful statistics about the state of things within the church and with non-believers in the world. And again, like I said, their, their findings, a lot of their findings have been very helpful to pastors and church leaders like myself. And in this book, Revolution, what Barna does is he reports on a group of people that he calls revolutionaries. He explains that this group's sole focus is on their relationship with God and really they really don't see the church as being all that necessary at all. And we know people like that, don't we? We do. People who, who just don't believe the church is an important part of Christian life. So what they do is they just stay home. They believe that they can be a faithful follower of Christ from the house. They believe that personal faith is what is truly important. And if the church helps you with that, great, go to church. But if the church doesn't, don't feel as if you need to go. Just quit, go at your Christian life on your own. Well, let me ask you this question this morning. What say you? Is church important? Is church a vital part of our Christian life? Is it an optional thing for a follower of Christ? Or is it a necessary thing? Do we need the church? Do we need to be concerned by these statistics or do we just need to adopt the mentality that says that's where things are headed, so let's just go with it? That's Barna's conclusion, believe it or not. Though this book by him gives helpful statistics about the rise in this group of people and their mentality, the issue I take with this book is that the prescription that Barna gives is worse than his diagnosis, believe it or not. What Barna says in this book is, that's just the way things are headed, so we just need to embrace it. We need to embrace the fact that people are seeking to follow God outside the church walls. There's a major issue I take with this prescription. It's just not biblical. It's not. It's not biblical. We learn from God's word that the church is vital. Without the church, we cannot be who God has called us to be. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. For the past three weeks, we have been discussing one of the most key, one of the most significant events in the history of Christianity, the start of the church. And for the last three weeks, we've been talking about how this early church was formed. And, and, and this week, we're going to look at what life was like in the early church. We're going to get a sneak peek. We're going to get a look through the window into the early church in the passage that we're going to look at Today And what I want to do is this. As we do this, 
What I want to do is draw out some major principles we learn as we examine early church life in this church in Jerusalem. I want to highlight for you four major purposes of the church that we see as we study the activity of those in the early church. And the reason why I'm highlighting these things, one is because Luke does it, and two is because if we're going to determine whether or not the church is necessary, we have to know the purpose that the church serves. I heard a story recently about a man who had a a wall up in his house that was separating two rooms and he wanted to take that wall out but he had to first determine whether or not that wall was serving a necessary purpose in the house and was to remain standing or whether or not it was just decorative just a sectional separating two rooms he probably should have got some some help on that if he didn't know that right But he was trying to determine if it was holding the the roof up, then it was serving a necessary purpose and needed to remain. But if not, if it was just decorative, then it could be taken out. What I want to do this morning is I want to ask you the same question about the church this morning. What is the purpose of the church? Is it something that's just an add-on? Something that's just decorative and optional? Or is it something that is essential? So this morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. If you're not there yet, get there. We're going to be looking at verses 41 through 47. In this passage, we get a description of the first church ever. It's a a description of who they were and, and what they were like and what they Valued. So let's read this description together of the early church. And then what I want to do is this. I want, to, I want to point out to you four major purposes that we see as we look at the early church. Look at Acts 2, 41 through 47 with me. Luke says this. So those who received Peter's word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me just point out to you from this passage four major purposes of the church that we learn as we examine the early church. First, we learn from the early church, point number one, that the church exists to equip believers in the word. The church exists to equip believers in the word. That's point number one. Look at, look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Notice the first description given of the church here. The first thing mentioned about the church is they devoted themselves to doctrine. 
They devoted themselves to teaching and being taught. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, where did the apostles get their message from, folks? From Jesus, right? Remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. You guys are going to be witnesses of me, of my person, and of my work, and of my teachings. And those in the early church, they were devoted to these things. They were devoted to these teachings, to the teachings of the apostles about the Lord Jesus. And the same is to be true, folks, of our church today. We have the message of God given to us in his word. And the reason why we're gathered here this morning and the reason why we gather here week in and week out, Sunday after Sunday, is to commit ourselves to this teaching. Do you know that? Said it several times before, and I'm sure I'll mention it many times again, but my primary role as your pastor, according to the word of God, is to use God's word to equip you in truth. Paul says that clearly in Ephesians 4. He says the role of the pastor teacher is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. My primary role is to do just that. And my role as a member of this church is to be equipped in truth alongside you. That's what Sunday morning is to be all about. It's about us gathering together, receiving God's word so that we can then go out and live out this message in our lives and apply this message to our lives and share this message with the world around us. Listen, though I think there are churches today devoted to a lot of good things, I'm fearful that many of our churches aren't devoted to the best thing, which is the word of God. That's why it says in our mission statement, that our aim as a church is not just to escort people to Christ, but it's to establish believers in the truth. That's what we're to be all about. Those in the early church, folks, they got this. And my prayer for us is that we would get it as well. I mean, if we miss this, folks, if we get this wrong, we ultimately get it wrong on everything else. But if we get this right... If we devote ourselves to God's word and pattern our lives after his word, and if we're faithful to share his word to others, we get it right on so many other things. So true. So the church exists to equip Christians in the word. But not only that, the church also exists, get this, to prepare believers for the work. To prepare believers for ministry. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In this first church here, there is this true sense, notice it here, of community, right? Among these believers. It's really beautiful when you, when you read it. They enjoyed one another's company. They devoted themselves to each other. They were constantly together, whether it was sitting under solid preaching or sitting around a table for a meal or spending time praying together and for one another. And because they were under the same teaching, because they were growing up in Christ together, they were on the same page spiritually. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in 
common. They were friends, but they were more than that. They were family, but they were more than that. They were one. One. And dwelt with one spirit, sitting under the teaching of the apostles about the one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We also learn that if there was anyone in need, those in in the group, they knew about it. Because they were in sync. They were unified. They were always together. And because they were, they knew about the needs of the body. And because of their great love for God and their great love for each other, they would go out of their way. They would bend over backwards to make sure needs were met. Look at verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Wow. There was this true sense of community and fellowship and love in the first church. They enjoyed one another. There is this sense of joy, this sense of authenticity among these members. They were meeting together on a regular basis. They were eating together. And and when they were together, they have glad and generous hearts, is what Luke tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. That day... When a believer thought about his or her Christian life, they viewed it to be lived out in this community of believers, in community with their brothers and sisters in Christ. The Christians in that day truly thought of the local church, get this, as one of the primary places where they were to live out their faith. Things have changed a bit today, haven't they? They really have. So we've said already, many don't value the church as they should. They see it at, as, as optional at best. Many don't see a need for it at all. In fact, the reason why I read the book Revolution by Barna was because it was given to me by a couple my age who thought it was the best book ever. They thought it was a good idea to just live outside the church walls, go at your Christian life on your own. Many my age and, and, and younger, when they think of the local church, they kind of view it like a, like a local gym. If you're feeling a little out of shape, you can go for a little while, get back in shape, and when that happens, you can quit. I know of many who view the church in the same way. They think, man, I'm going through a difficult time right now, so I've got to get plugged in to the church, and they go for a little while, and when things start getting a little bit better, they cut out again. They quit. What does God say about it? Well, bear with me for just a moment while I give you a a brief teaching, brief doctrine of the church from Scripture. In Scripture, the Bible speaks about the church in two different ways. And I want to explain these to you because this will really help us as we move forward this morning in this discussion. The Bible speaks of the church in two ways. It speaks of the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church is the local, visible body of believers. It's defined as the church as we see it. That's the the visible church, the local visible body. A church like like this one here, a church where we, we go and we gather together as believers. The Bible clearly talks about the local invisible church. In Romans 16, Paul says, Greet the church that meets in Aquila and Priscilla's home. Now, not all believers in the known world at that time were going to Aquila and Priscilla's house, all right? 
This is a, a local visible body, and I don't think I have to go into too much more detail with you on that. You know what a local church is, right? But Scripture also makes mention of what is called the invisible church, also known as the universal church, and this is defined as the church as God sees it. So the visible church is the church as we see it. The invisible universal church is the church as God sees it. Everyone who has ever and will ever trust in Christ alone for salvation, anyone who is trusting in him has been changed for the, from the inside out, they make up the invisible church. We call it invisible because we don't know who all the believers are throughout the history of Christianity, do we? And where they are and who they are all over the world. But God does, and we also cannot see the condition of the human heart, but God can. There are many references made to this in the scriptures as well, the universal church. For example, Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Luke here, in this verse of scripture, is not talking about one church in particular, right? He's talking about a group of believers who live all across Judea and Galilee and Samaria. There were many local churches made up in this area. So the Bible talks about the universal, invisible church and also the local, visible body. Here's the issue. That's why I explain this to you. The issue with many today is that they emphasize the universal invisible church while de-emphasizing the local invisible one. They say, you know, I've been saved. I'm living for God. I belong to him. I have my Bible. I have my time alone with God on a regular basis. That's all I need. I don't need to associate with other believers in a local church setting. Well, there are many problems with this, but I'll mention two in particular. One is that the authors of the New Testament and those who were members of the early church had no concept of believers being a part of the universal, invisible body of Christ and not also being a part of a local congregation. Now, the authors did at times mention that the opposite was true. There were some who were a part of the local visible body who were not a part of the invisible universal body, who were not a part of God's people. They talk about wolves in sheep's clothing. John in 1 John says they went out from us, and the fact that they went out from us was proof that they were not of us. So they're a part of the, the local body but not a part of the universal body, but they never left room for the opposite. And the reason why, the reason why is because they rightly understood, those in that day rightly understood that the Christian faith fleshes itself out in and through the local church. And that's point number two. The church is the place where we gather with other believers, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, get this, so that we can flesh our faith out. The local church, the local body of believers is, is the place where we, we get to love and serve and encourage one another so that we all can become more of who Christ has called us to be. It's the place where we make our Christianity real. That's what the local church is supposed to be, folks. It exists to equip believers 
to minister to one another so that everybody is serving and encouraging and loving one another and being served and being loved and being encouraged. That's why the church is necessary. The church exists to equip believers to do this, to minister to one another. It exists so that we as believers can come together, break bread together, pray together, believe together, share our possessions with one another, meet the needs of one another, share our lives with one another in Christ. It's a place for you to live out your faith. Listen, I want you to hear this. This is so key. If you don't associate with God's people in his church, you cannot truly be obedient to him. Do you know that? It's true. You know why? Because how can you be obedient to God by loving one another, submitting to one another, encouraging one another, building one another up, exhorting one another, showing hospitality to one another, praying for one another, not speaking evil against one another? How can you do these things, which Scripture clearly tells us we're to be doing if you don't associate with one another? How can you do that? Truth is, we can't. We, we can't. The Bible puts such a major emphasis on us connecting with other believers and living in relationship with one another. This is not optional, folks. This is essential for our growth in godliness. Another reason why the church exists, not only to equip believers in the word and prepare believers for the work of ministry, but also the church exists, get this, this is a big one, to worship God. The church exists to worship God. Look at verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, the last part of that verse where it says many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, we're going to discuss that in more detail next week. I'm going to revisit that verse, and we're going to talk about that more when we're in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. So come back for that, all right? But this morning, we're going to focus primarily in on that first verse. The word all used here is the Greek word phobos. It's where we get our word phobia from. It means fear or terror. Luke, Luke says here that, that everyone in this early church, they experienced this sense of holy terror before God. Now, it was a healthy fear, but he's talking about a real fear here before God. Believers, did you know that you're to fear God? You know, we're told that in scripture. We're talking about a real fear. We're to live with the understanding that God holds our life in his hands. He has given us life. He is giving us life, both physically and spiritually. We're dependent upon him for everything. We're to understand that he's a righteous and holy God, takes sin seriously, and we're to live seriously in light of those truths. And when we do that, when we fear God, when we have a healthy, holy terror, fear of God, it benefits the way we live for God in a good way. It really does. In this sense of awe and fear toward God, it improved the way those in the early church lived. And we see evidence of that in verses 46 through 47. Look at it. Luke says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising 
God. Notice they met in public places. They met in private places. They met in the temple. They met in the home. And the main purpose of the meeting together was to praise God. The primary purpose of their meetings was for worship, to worship the living God. Now, let's be honest for just a minute. If I went around the room right now, most of you would affirm that we're here to worship God, right? But if we're really honest, this is hard for many of us to get, isn't it? Because we're self-centered people. We often think, if it's not good for me, then what good is it? We at times view the church and the Christian faith in this way as well. When we think about Christianity, we think of it only in terms of what it does for me. When we think about God, we think of him only in terms of what he does for me. He saves me, he blesses me, he meets my needs, and we think of the church in this way as well. We'll go to church if it benefits me, but if it doesn't, we won't. We believe that the church is to be all about us and centered upon us. Well, if you feel that way, you're going to get your feelings hurt this morning. That is not what we find in the scriptures at all. We learn in God's word, we were created for God. And we as a church have been brought together to worship him and bring glory to him. The church does not exist ultimately for you and for your benefit, though you do benefit when you plug into the church. But the church ultimately exists for God. Think about this. Why did God save you? Did he do it ultimately for you? Did he? Do you see that in the scriptures? No, he did it ultimately for him. What we find in scripture is that our God is about his name and he ultimately acts for the sake of his name. Don't believe me, just search the scriptures for how often it says, I'm doing this for my name's sake. For my name's sake, I'm doing this. God says it all throughout the word of God. Listen to what he said to the Israelites in Exodus 9, 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up. Why did he raise them up? For their benefit? Because they were so great? No, he says, for this purpose, I've raised you up to show you my power that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Malachi 1.11. From the rising of the sun to its setting. That's all day, by the way. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, that's everywhere, by the way, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. He's saying here, my name is to be great all day, every day, everywhere. There's no room for anybody else, is there? All day, every day, everywhere God's name is to be made great he's not saved you and me ultimately for you and me but for his name's sake I mean what are we going to be doing for all eternity folks worshiping who God we're going to be worshiping him like we sing in here on occasion you and I we were made for what worship exactly right And we're not to wait to that future day till we see him face to face to be worshiping him either, right? We're to be tuning up right now 
every chance we get whenever we gather together as a church if you've been saved you've been called out of this world set apart by god to worship him your life is to be one big worship service before the lord that's why god has saved you that's why he's called you to live in this community with this people the church because our god desires to be worshiped by his people the church fellowship if we get this if we begin to see our lives and the Christian faith and our church as it should be centered on God and not on us, you better look out. We're going to make a splash. We're going to make an impact in East Texas and beyond for the gospel, for God's sake and for his glory, which leads us right into this last point. Notice what else we learn here from Acts 2. We learn the church exists to reach the world. We exist to reach the world for Christ. Look at, look at Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, just before verse 41, what's going on? We talked about it last week, right? Remember, Peter's preaching a sermon, and the main subject of his sermon is Christ. He preaches on his life and his death and his resurrection and exaltation. And upon completing his sermon, we're told that when many of them heard this message preached, they were cut to the core. They were cut to the heart, and they asked, what are we to do to be saved? And Peter says, repent, place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then identify yourself with this new Christian community by being baptized and we're told on that very morning the church grew from 120 to 3,000 but it didn't stop there did it look at verse 47 I love this these verses serve as bookends on this passage and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved it didn't stop at 3,000 did it it kept going and going and going and eventually Luke just gives up he loses count he quits giving us the the tally because he loses count and notice here something else very interesting. Their salvation and joining the church are synonymous. You see that? It's not as if they got saved and they thought, well, let me think about it. I might join a church. Maybe not. No, it says they got saved and they got added to the church. Boom, boom. Just like that. Two go hand in hand. I mean, think about it. Why did Jesus not take the disciples with him when he returned to be with the Father? Why did he leave them here on earth? Why don't we, after giving our life to the Lord Jesus, just go immediately to be with him? You know why? It's for this reason right here. Not only have we been made right with God through Christ, but we have been brought together in him as a church body. And we as God's people, we as Christ's church, we got a job to do. We got to grow in godliness. We got to gather here. We need to be gathering here to do it. We need to be sharpening one another to, to, to move forward spiritually, but we also got a job to do. We've been called by Jesus to be his witnesses. We're to go out into this world and minister together. We're to be coming here to get equipped to be who we're supposed to be out there. We're to be getting equipped right here so we can then go out and make an impact in this world for Christ. And when people out there respond to our message, you know what we're to do? We're to bring them here so that they can be 
getting equipped and growing in godliness so that they can better serve the needs of other believers so that we as a church can just be built up as a community of God's people. That's why we as a church exist, folks. That's why you're to be part of the local church. That's why the church is vital. I want to end this morning in a unique way by just giving you an opportunity before the end of service just to recommit yourself to Christ's church. In a moment, we're going to take communion. You're going to have time during that song to, uh, to do business with God on this. Maybe you haven't been valuing the church as you should. I pray if that's your mentality that the Spirit of God does a great work in and through you, changes your view of Christ's church this morning. Believers, the main reason you're here, let me remind you one more time, let me send you out on this, is not ultimately for you. Though you benefit, the reason you're here is to worship the God who made you and redeemed you with his people and you're to be getting established here in his truth and equipped for ministry together so that we can all go out from this place out into his world and make an impact for him for his name's sake and for his glory I mentioned a guy earlier who wanted to knock down a wall but before he did, he had to determine whether or not it was serving a necessary purpose. And like I said, he probably should have got help on it, but he didn't. Made a judgment call, and he knocked the wall down, and down came the ceiling with it. True story. The purpose of that wall was necessary. It was holding the house up, holding the house together. Scripture teaches, folks, that the church is necessary. It's necessary for you. We need Christ's church. We need God's people to be who he has called us to be. His church, the Christian community, is vital. Therefore, we should be the type of people who value and cherish his church. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not valuing and cherishing his church. And the reason why is because though you're here, a part of the local body, you're not a part of his universal body. You've never been changed from the inside out. You've never given your life up and over to the Lord Jesus. Listen, before you can truly value the church, you have to become a part of God's church, a part of his people. The way you do that, Scripture tells us, is by seeing your sinfulness and your need of a Savior. By turning from that sin turning your life up and over to the Lord Jesus, making him your Lord. If you would call upon him, make him your Lord, you can be saved today. And I pray if you haven't, that you would. Let's pray.